Holy Spirit, we trust that you are ever present with us and that you're able to help us to release us from our own agendas, from the bondage of our own will and our own broken desires and give us a new way of thinking, a new way of living. Help us, Lord, uh, this morning as we spend time in the scriptures, as we reflect on what it means to have gifts and what it means to be called. Help us to turn our hearts towards you that we might be reminded of what's truly important and in the process be transformed. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. This is the last week of our series, Many Gifts, and I really wanted to do this uh, series because I wanted to spend some time uh, encouraging you all and encouraging myself. You know, it's really easy in our world, uh, world to feel, um, I find my confidence getting beat out of me sometimes, where you, you wonder if you have something to contribute. I'm sure you guys are thinking, well, how could Joe ever feel that way? You have so much to contribute. <laughs> but it's true, and, 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 and someone like myself with so much to contribute, feeling that way, I can only imagine, you know. <laughs> I joke. In all sincerity, I'm, I'm a relatively insecure individual, and um, I really do want to contribute. I want to have something to offer. And the thing that I go back to that has become so important to my life and my faith is this understanding that none of us have the same thing to contribute. <laughs> and that when we compare ourselves, it's unhealthy and it's destructive. And so I want to be able to just bring myself, you know, I just want to be able to bring me and what I have with all of my failings and all of my slip ups and mess ups and and I want you to be able to do the same. And I, and I honestly believe that this is like one of the primary, this is, this is at the root of one of my primary callings as a pastor is I, I, my experience in the church was not a friendly one. My experience in the wider church continues to not be a very friendly one. A lot of posturing. There's a lot of, of putting up walls and telling you what your place is and who deserves what and based on how meaningful you are to a church or a denomination and then they attach value to that and say here's what the salary you deserve and what church you get and so growing up in the church I, 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 my dad was a pastor experiencing honestly some of the some of the meanest people I've ever met in the church I really wanted a space where <laughs> I could do what I felt God called me to do, and, and I, without any expectation that God called other people to do it, you know, just like, let's do something unique together. And so one of my primary, if I have any role here, is to create space where you, you feel safe enough to be yourself and to bring what you have. Now, now, if that turns into you turning around and saying, hey, Joe, I think you should do this, or I think you should do that, my response would probably be, well, I think that's a great thing for you to do. <laughs> Let's do that. I can't, I can't, that's the whole, don't you hear what I'm saying? I can't do everything. I just want to create space where you feel like you can experiment and 
try to figure out what it means to be a Christian in this world and in this city. And I can't say I've done it successfully or not, but there have been moments where, where people have told me they felt permission to do something, and, and I tell you, that gives me the greatest joy. That's, that was the point of this series. I don't know if that was communicated or not, because I get on tangents and get into trouble and say the wrong thing and sometimes curse, I guess. And you guys remember that one. <laughs> Jim had that one on repeat. I know. Denise told me. Playing it back. Bleeped it from the podcast, though. He had to get a special recording. I'll send it to others if you want. That was the point of the series. Just create space. So we're going to end the series today, obviously, just an ongoing conversation, by really talking about what it means to have a call. At the heart of what it means to have many gifts is that God, God has created you uniquely to offer something to the world, to the church, and your calling is really where that intersects into practical life. Like, there is something that God wants you to do, and I, I believe that this is a broad picture, but we're going to spend some time in one passage. It's at, at the root of what we call a call narrative uh, throughout the scriptures, especially the Old Testament. There's glimpses of it in the New Testament as well with the Great Commission and the, 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 the conversion of uh, Paul. You have this thing called a call narrative, and, and what we see with the call narrative is that over and over again with Moses and Gideon and Isaiah 1 and the second Isaiah and and a variety of other prophets, they experience this interaction with the divine in a very similar way, which leads us to believe that like maybe this is something we could reflect on, that maybe this is something that tends to happen. This is how it often works. It doesn't have to always work this way, but this is a typical conversation that humans have with God when God wants humans to do something. So we're going to spend time in one of the original ones, uh, The Call of Moses. It's one of my uh, favorite passages. I spent a lot of time in seminary uh, uh, writing about this, and I'm just going to share some brief reflections. I won't give you a seminary paper. It is out on Facebook if you're interested in reading it. I can't say it's worth reading, but it is there, and um, uh, we'll do that. So if you have your Bibles with uh, with you, you can go to Exodus chapter 3. If not, it will be on the screen. Uh, that's really the only thing that's going to be on the screen today is our scripture passage, Exodus chapter 3, and it starts out like this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So this is where we pick up the story. We're in chapter 3 of Exodus, so we've uh, skipped the first two chapters. Here's what happens. Moses is born. He is saved from a genocide. He ends up in the Pharaoh's court. He's raised in the house of Egypt. But he's an Israelite, and he has a heart as an Israelite. He has a heart for Israelites, and this gets him into trouble. He's kind of living in two different worlds. He's an, an Egyptian who's been given a, a fair amount of privilege, but he's, he's also, he's ultimately an Israelite, and he cares about the Israelites. He ends up getting into this conflict and this between his, his role as an Egyptian and his heart for the Israelites, and he doesn't know what to do with it, and he, I think he ends up killing somebody. Is that how the story I didn't actually reread it recently. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. There's some conflict, and ultimately he runs away. And currently, He starts a new life. He gets married. Now he has a father-in-law. He's a part of his father-in-law's household. And he is a shepherd. And he's a nomad living in the wilderness, caring for flocks. And he's out there wandering in the wilderness, caring for these sheep. When he comes across this mountain, the mountain of God. Verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. 
I mentioned I study this passage quite a bit in seminary. I've read it over and over again as I've preached on it a number of times. And this time, uh, you know, whenever you go back to a passage, you experience something new. Not every time, but often you'll experience something new. This is the new thing I experienced in this passage that I hadn't experienced before. This is what sets off the whole conversation between Moses and God. Moses' curiosity. He sees this thing that he doesn't know how to make sense of, and he says, let's go look at that. And I think this is really important. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't even know if it's God. He doesn't know if God's involved in it at all. He doesn't, he doesn't know what, that it's going to result in this call that becomes one of the formational stories in the people of Israel and now the people of Jesus. That, that would ch- it would change everything. He doesn't know any of that. He's just curious about something that he saw, and he wants to go check it out. I think this is uh, ultimately the, 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 one of the more important lessons in this passage. You, you'll see it come up later. His willingness to just be curious, just to see what's possible, to see what something is. You know, I, I wonder as we wrestle, you know, sometimes uh, one of the people that I'm, I'm thinking about as I prepare this sermon is I've met many people who don't feel like they have a call. They don't, they don't know what God wants from them. Well, there's a couple thoughts here in this passage that I think is really important. One is, you know, how curious are you? Have you been exploring every nook and cranny that comes across? I mean, you know, sometimes you've got to be curious. But there's this other part that's also very reassuring if you think about it. Moses has spent most of his life just doing what's next. An Egyptian gets in trouble. He flees. Now he's a shepherd. He got married. None of this is all this is before his call. So, you know, there's a couple thoughts. Like, are you being curious? And two, you know, maybe it's just not time yet. So you can just relax. It's okay. Like even Moses, the great, the great Moses, you know, his call came much later in life. And I think that's, that's really reassuring. In fact, many of the calls in the scriptures come many, later in life. So verse 4, he goes on. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God was responding to his curiosity. Do you see that? The curiosity was an important part of this because God noticed that he took notice. And because he took notice, God took notice of him and said, hey, come over here, Moses. This is one of the first parts of a traditional call narrative. God calls somebody by name. Moses, Moses. It's personal. He knows Moses' name. He knows everything about Moses. And he has something that he was going to invite Moses to be a part of. And this is very personal. It's a personal experience that we have to all kind of wrestle through and figure out. And it's, it's tricky and it's complicated and it happens in seasons. But he says, Moses, Moses. And, and Moses said, here I am. I can't read that line without uh, thinking of the, that classic. I don't know if it's a classic hymn. What's that hymn? Here I am, Lord. It's actually based on what Isaiah, I believe. But, you know, it's based on Isaiah's call narrative. So similar to Moses's. Here I am. Great little song if you're familiar with it. I won't sing it for you. He says, here I am. Verse 5. God says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So the story starts because Moses turns toward a burning bush, but now we see Moses turning away from the presence of God. 
out of respect, out of fear for who God is. You know, there's this really sense that the curiosity would bring him in, but fear of God would give him caution. And this is part of the Old Testament story, but I think it's carried into the New Testament story. God is exactly what we need, but too much of God will kill us. The sense that God's holiness is exactly what we need to fix all of these problems and cure us from this radiation we call sin, but too much of it would kill us. And so, you know, we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, build a tabernacle or, or the temple so we can funnel God's holiness to the people in a safe way, this sort of stuff. So, so there's this sense that God is not to be messed with. And all I, I think on a very practical level, even to this point, I just want to say, this is serious business. And, and, and Moses knows right from the start who's boss, who's in charge. The first step to really receiving a call from God or, or a, a, a sense of commissioning from God is choosing to not be your own boss. And as long as you're saying, hey, I'm still ultimately in charge of my life, if you're over here like, I'm ultimately still in charge of my life, and then you're also complaining, why doesn't God want anything from me? That's not how it works. This is serious business. God is not to be messed with. There's a danger to God. <laughs> Loving, but dangerous. And God is ultimately the boss. And that's, that, that's where the call happens, is our willingness to take off our shoes, humble ourselves, so to speak, kneel, say, okay, I, I get it. I'm not God. Man, I, I tell you, and I've said this many times, and I'll say it many times before, I, when I think about what it means to turn our hearts towards God, it's, it's ultimately a recognition that I'm human. And I, it's one of my favorite declarations I have to remind myself. I'm not God. And as silly as it is, that is such a sigh of relief. For you all as well, right? Oh, I'd make a terrible God. It really isn't a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing to say, you know what? That's above my pay grade. I don't have the answers to everything. I can't figure it all out. I'm not God. I'm human. I'm broken. I'm, 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 I make mistakes. I, I don't have everything I need. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I'm not sure I said those words wrong. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Uh, in preparation for the sermon, actually this morning, uh, instead of uh, writing out more of my manuscript, I went and took a career test. Have you ever done one of these? It took a surprising amount of time. Uh, they had a lot of questions, but they asked all these things about like what I wanted to do and what I was good at, and you know, kind of personality questions and career questions and skills questions and how much education I was willing to get. And then it shot out uh, careers that I could pursue um, if I wanted to pursue a new career. Uh, you want to hear, hear what I should become based on my answers? Uh, number one pick, a historian. Not going to become a historian. <laughs> 
Uh, historian and theologian, they're in the same family of trees. So, I mean, you know, like it's on the same family tree, so that's fine. Historian, the other one was a school administrator, which I thought was interesting. Never considered that before. The other one was a writer, which I, I thought, you know, I, I am trying to be a writer. I, I enjoy writing quite a bit. And it really, when you think about it, church is a bit of a historian administrator who writes. Um, so some of that makes sense. Uh, uh, the other one was audiovisual stuff, which I was like, okay. So this actually was pretty interesting because I do some audiovisual stuff as well. So, but it was all based on kind of like me, right? It was all based on like, well, what do I have to offer? What are my gifts? What are my interests? What am I willing to do? All this sort of stuff. Here's, in light of that, here's what I found so particularly interesting this time around when I uh, read this uh, uh, passage uh, of Moses' call. This is not about Moses. It's not about Moses. It's not about Moses' suffering. It's not about Moses' unique gifts. It's certainly not about making Moses' life more fulfilling. It's just not. That's, not. that's not what's happening here. This passage, the call of Moses isn't about, hey, Moses, you know, we've, I've been watching you, and you've got some really great things to offer, and I really want you to be happy with your life and find some meaning and fulfillment, and, you know, we don't want you to feel like the 9 to 5 is a drag, so find something really great that you find purposeful and meaningful, and so, like, we're going to get you in the right career that gives you the amount of money you need to live on and, you know, the amount of education you're willing to do. No! This is about people who are hurting and cried out to God. Why God? Do something, God. Help me, God. This is about people who are hurting, and God, if you read the passage, God is the one who's going to do something about it, not Moses. God is going to do something about it. So when we think about call, from, from at least in the context of these call narratives, Theological call. I understand calling can be, mean a lot of different things in our culture. Calling can be just like you have a meaningful job. Okay, I'm not going to tell you that's not a calling. I think it's just a different kind of calling than what we're talking about here. But when we talk about calling in the context of a theological community, we're talking about often there's a problem that God wants to address and God's going to do it through people, through you. Next verse, or going on, verse, uh, the rest of verse, uh, verse 10 here. He says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Go. This is a big part of the call narratives. It's what we call the commission. Um, You see it in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You see it throughout all the call narratives. Some scholars would say if a call narrative doesn't have the command to go, then it's probably not a call narrative. We won't get into that. You can read my paper on it. But it's this idea that part of a call in, a, in, the, in the scriptural call narrative example is a command to do something, to go. It, 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 it specifically, that command has a particular significance. A new place, a new mission, a new something. It requires action. It requires your feet hitting the pavement and taking steps in a particular direction. As you think about what your call is or what it means to, to contribute to the church or what it, to change the world, to, to address the problem that God wants to address and God's going to do, it will require steps in a particular direction. But here's what happens, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
This also is a pretty standard part of a call narrative. It's my favorite part of a call narrative. I like to think that this is essential to call narratives, that you haven't really experienced a call unless you've experienced this, and it's simply called the rejection. Every time God calls somebody, they say, no thanks. And I would say, and I, I could be wrong. My professor used to say, 30% of what he says is wrong, he's just not sure which 30%. And that's pretty accurate. But I think this is essential to a call narrative with God. To God saying, hey, I, want some, I, need, I need you to go do something. Is to first and foremost say, no thanks, God. Who am I? I can't do that. And here's why. Because it's only after we say, I can't do it, that God follows up by saying, verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. And God hadn't said that up to this point. Here's the thing. God asked you to do something. Remember, it was God doing something in response to other people in need. God already knows you can't do it. Do you hear what I'm saying? You need to come to terms that you can't do it. Then we can start moving forward. You can't. You're not going to be able to. By yourself. But after you say, I can't do it, God then falls up and says, no, you don't understand. You aren't the one who's going to be doing it. I will be with you. And then he gives the, another part of the call narrative, another component of the call narratives. He gives a sign. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God in this mountain. He reassures them with a sign. And this is, this is my favorite sign. And I've preached on this a number of times, and you, you all might remember this. But, uh, you know, Gideon is another call narrative. Gideon asks for a sign, and, and God does something that night with fleece and moisture and dew and all this sort of stuff, if you remember that story. But he, like, sees a supernatural act right outside his doorstep. Moses, his sign is this. Did you catch this? You'll know that I'm calling you <laughs> because when you do what I said you were going to do, you'll look back and know that I called you. It's, it's, it's a hindsight sign. It's like, in other words, your sign will be, once it's all done and you've gotten the people out of Egypt, you don't even know how that's going to, you don't even know anything about the plagues yet, you don't know about the, you know, crossing, the, you don't know any of how much it's going to take. But once you've done all of that that you don't even, aren't even aware of yet, you'll come back and you'll worship God and you'll look back and say, oh, yeah, I, I definitely was called. I, I definitely, that was clearly, oh, this kind of sign is... I think much more common than Gideon's sign. You ask for a sign and you're like, I want God, come and show me right, right here in front of me that this is actually what you want me to do. But God's like, well, trust me. Start doing something. Step out in faith. And when you look back, you'd be like, oh yeah. God was there every step of the way. And he made this possible. Verse 13 Moses isn't done complaining or resisting. He says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of the fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? You know, I love this because uh, this is also, I think, very human, very typical. The first rejection he has, he's doubting himself. We all do that, don't we? I talked about my insecurity at the beginning. 
Well, you can almost say that itself is a sign, you know, that I must be on the right track. Here, he's doubting God. Also very human. Questioning God. Well, who is this God that's sending me? You know, these stories, these call narratives, Moses and others, are given to us, and they're repeated over and over again, a very similar format, so that we can, I think, know what kind of things to expect. Not every story is the same. God can do whatever God wants. I'm not going to put God in a box. But we can kind of get an idea. Here's the typical type of relationship you're going to have with God. They're, they are, give us an idea of what to expect. They are, this story itself is a bit of a sign. So if you've ever doubted God or yourself... I'm here to tell you, you're probably on the right track. Or at least you might be. I'll tell you this much, it's not a disqualifying factor. It doesn't mean you're on the wrong track. If anything, it means you're on the right track. Maybe you're not. But if I had to guess, and you're actually wrestling with it, you're actually questioning it, you're actually, oh man, I don't know if I can do this, and I don't know if, who is this God that's sending me, and I don't, if you're actually wrestling with it, most of the time you're on the right track. Because people on the wrong track don't care enough to wrestle with it. Man, we beat ourselves up about that all the time. Ultimately, God is going to invite us to do things that we can't do ourselves. God is literally going to give you more than you can handle. I know that's not the bumper sticker, but that's, that's scripture. God is going to give you more than you can handle. And here's why. Because you're not meant to live life alone. Two greatest commandments, love God, love others. Here's what I'm telling you. God is going to give you and give us something so difficult that you won't be able to do it without God and without others. It will require community, and it will require the power of God in your life. In fact, if you're doing something that you can do in a self-sufficient way, you're a good American, but it doesn't mean you're a good Christian. Do you hear what I'm saying? And some of us are very successful. I'm very self-sufficient. I'm living into this in a very profound sense. I got so tired of hiring people to work in my house, I'm just doing it myself. And that's why I have like four Band-Aids on my hand. Stigmata, by the way. Stabbed my palm with a nail. Didn't need to tell you that, but I am. I understand self-sufficiency. When it comes to calling, when it comes to living out our faith in God, the thing that God is calling me to do and the thing that God is calling you to do, you won't be able to do on your own. It's going to require community. So here's what God explains. God says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am, which is a great response. Another way of saying don't question me, that my identity, that God's identity is so, it's, it's beyond identity itself. It's what identity is rooted in. He says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel Israel, and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezerites, Hevites, Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. We start this journey, and it's, it's the way in which we're wired in our culture to try to figure out who we are. 
There are literally about a million personality tests you can take. We've used a fair amount. There's spiritual gifts tests you can take. Uh, I dissected those a little bit last week and how I don't think the lists in the New Testament are comprehensive of all the spiritual gifts. They're spiritual because God gives them to you, not because they were on one of Paul's lists and God can equip us however God wants to. But there's a variety of personality tests and assessments and coaching. And I mean, you can, this is a multi-million dollar industry to help us figure out who we are and how we can have a fulfilling life. What we read in scripture is something a little different. It ultimately becomes about who God is. It ultimately comes about who God is and how God has been walking with a people. And it's not about an individual. It's not about Moses or what Moses is going through or how hard of a life Moses had, all these troubles, but rather a people, a group that are being oppressed. And God says, enough. I'm going to do something about it. Not every call is going to involve responding to oppressed people. But according to Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, you might argue that most are, some way, going to involve us responding to people who are hurting. And it's not because we want to help them. God is in the business of helping. And God might so choose one of us, if not all of us, to be a part of it. When we talk about what gifts we have to bring to the table, Moses went on to talk about how he didn't have any gifts. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to share this passage. I'm going, to, I'm going to end with this. Moses goes on to the next chapter. He says, well, I'm not very good at talking. I don't have, he, he literally says, one of the things you want me to do is go talk to people, and I'm not good at talking. I'm not good with that kind of language. And so he says, I don't have the gifts. And I think this is really important. As we talk about many gifts and how we all have something to offer, the call narratives don't start with what you have to offer. They start with what God wants to do. And God will surround us with the people we need to accomplish the things that we are called to do, just like Moses sends, you know, gets Aaron to come alongside him, and he, he does it in the context of community. But it doesn't start with what you have to offer with your gifts and your talents. It starts with what God wants to do and us coming alongside and being faithful to that and being open to that and being curious. Being willing to explore new opportunities, new places, and new experiences. Moses was really the, the best person for the job. It's not said directly in this passage, but you know, here's a guy who was familiar with the courts of Egypt. He had a heart for the Israelites. And he was really good at wandering, living off the land. His entire life, had been preparing him for this moment. And yet all he could see were the reasons why he couldn't do it. He couldn't see the fact that, can you think of a better person in the context of this story to accomplish the task, to go to Egypt, to go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go, lead the people out of Israel and then help them survive in the land as they wander through the wilderness. I mean, Moses was clearly the person, not because he had the right gifts or the right talents, but honestly because he had the right experiences. And that itself might be a lesson for us today, that one of the greatest, we talk about, we've been deconstructing spiritual gifts this whole series, if you haven't picked up on that, and one of the greatest gifts you can have, we talked about was love, you know, what makes a gift spiritual is that God gives it to you, not because it's on a list, and here, one of the greatest, one of the other gifts besides love that you can bring to a community is your experiences, 
You might just be the perfect person to help us figure out what's next, to help this community figure out what's next. We're always trying to figure out what's next, where God's going to lead us. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks. We trust that you are alive and well and able to work in and through us. We ask that you would show us the way, that you would create space in our hearts to understand what it is that you have called us to. Lord, that you would help us humble ourselves, take off our shoes, uh, kneel before you, acknowledge yet again that you are the boss, that this isn't about me, it's not about my personal fulfillment, but rather responding to real needs in this world. That we might attach ourselves to the heart of God that cries with those who cry and hears the cries of the needy. Help us, Lord, for we are too poor and needy. We can't do it. We're not smart enough, strong enough, gifted enough. God, we trust that you will invite us and invite me and invite each of us on a mission too big for ourselves that we will need you and each other. In your name, amen. As a conclusion to this series, um, in a couple of weeks, um, probably early March, we're going to be offering a, uh, a class uh, event after church. It's called Next Steps. Um, It's really geared towards people who are new to the church. We'll talk about who we are. We'll answer questions. um, uh, We'll then talk about ways to get involved. Uh, There'll be some small group leaders present. There'll be some ministry team leaders present. So if you're you're interested in places where you can serve or small groups that are available, it's a fun, and there'll be a chance to meet other people so you can get to know. Um, It's geared towards people who are new to the church. I know there's a lot of people who are relatively new to the church, but because of COVID, there is a sense that we're kind of all new to the church, and, and I imagine there might be people who have been coming for four years are like, you know what, I'm ready to, to explore small groups again or serving again, and serving looks different now than it used to, etc. So um, while in the past it's been geared towards new people, and it still is, I want to invite the whole church to be a part of it. Um, if COVID cooperates, we'll even have lunch. Um, I'm in conversation with our board chair about whether that could be a possibility, and, and the numbers look hopeful. Uh, so we'll gather in the fellowship hall, have some uh, safe-spaced eating, a chance to meet other people, hear about the church, and, and hear from ways to get involved. So um, we're aiming for March 6th, but we're still nailing down those details. I just want to let you know that this is really designed to be a good action step for our conversations around what gifts we have and what calling we have, as well as just a chance to get to know people um, that, uh, that are a part of our community. So if you want to do that, and if you're online, you're welcome to join us as well. We can pipe you in via Zoom, and uh, we, we try to do everything hybrid if that's uh, uh, so that it makes it a possibility. So I want to let you know that. We'll have more information about that. You'll get an email and future announcements between now and uh, early March. So uh, with that, I'm going to invite you to stand and uh, we'll sing our closing song.